the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Tuesday, April the 17th edition of Lifeline. Great to have you on board today. Today, of course, is a tax day, although I understand the IRS had a bit of a glitch in its system. And so allegedly, don't get this on any uh, formal authority from me because I'm uh, not a tax collector nor a tax advisor, though I have played one on television. But apparently they're going to allow us another 24 hours to file our taxes because of this technical glitch. Don't know whether that means you get another 24 hours to write the check, but at least in terms of the filing, allegedly we have until tomorrow. Other big news today, you uh, no doubt heard the news there at the top of the hour that the former First Lady of the United States, Barbara Bush, has passed away in her Houston home today at the age of 92. And, of course, we'll continue to uh, follow the developing story out of the East Coast today where a Southwest Airlines flight was diverted and forced to emergency land due to what appears to be the implosion of one of the engines that apparently blew shrapnel to a passenger window and ultimately led to the death of one passenger terrible tragedy, and uh, we certainly urge you to be in prayer for the family of the victim in that set of circumstances, and no doubt all the passengers after an experience like that must very much be rattled. We'll keep you posted as information comes into the KFAX newsroom. Also keep you on top of traffic throughout the broadcast tonight. We've got Michael Bennett standing by in the KFAX Traffic Center. A little bit later on in this hour, Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, will join us. We'll talk about a new measure making its way through the California State Legislature that you need to be aware of. That conversation coming up a little bit later on. Meanwhile, you've heard news today, no doubt, that talks apparently at the quote-unquote highest levels are progressing between the United States and North Korea. And as much as at certain levels that seems to all be encouraging, many longtime Eastern affair observers have said that, you know, for all the saber-rattling and noise that North Korea makes... Many insiders would suggest that at the end of the day, North Korea pretty much is the lapdog of its big neighbor, and a big neighbor that, while on the surface may tell you they'd rather see all of this settle down and uh, not have all this noise going on, in reality, no doubt, probably gets, if not at the very least, amusement, maybe certainly takes advantage of the distraction that North Korea presents for the United States. That neighbor, by the way, is communist China. And isn't it interesting how the United States engaged in a 40-, 50-year Cold War with Soviet communism and considered it to be a major threat to our freedom and democracy around the globe, and yet seemingly, seemingly, we've never held the same opinion of communist China. The question we pose for our first guest tonight is, should we? We're joined now by internationally recognized authority on China, 
He is also an acclaimed author, speaker. He's worked tirelessly since the 1970s to bring attention to China's horrific, basically forced abortion policy, the so-called one-child policy. He's the author of a number of best-selling books. His latest, newly released by Regnery Press, is called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. And Stephen Mosher, great to have you on the program. Well, it's good to be here. What about this irony? I, I, I've often wondered, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when we had the duck cover and hold drills and dove underneath the desks, and we were constantly being warned about the communist menace, both here at home and certainly abroad. And at every turn, we were very concerned about the potentiality of the growth of communist Russia. And for all of the hand-wringing that we did for literally decades, seemingly since supposedly Nixon opened the doors to China back in the 1970s, we, we've never held the same concern over communist China that we did over communist uh, Russia or the former Soviet Union. Is there a reason for that? And should we be concerned? Well, I think absolutely we should be concerned. I mean, China has a, uh, a an economy many times the size of the Soviet Union's at its height. It has a population uh, five times that of the Soviet Union at its height. And it has, like the Soviet Union, it has global ambitions. It has ambitions that are expressed in the uh, the One Belt, One Road, the New Silk Road initiative that's supposed to tie all of Eurasia to China's economy. Eurasia, of course, has... Uh, everything from Europe all the way through the Middle East, through uh, East Asia, has about over half the world's population, over half the world's land area. So China has uh, a great vaunting ambitions to be the world's dominant power, and they see us as standing in their way. Uh, that's why we, without wanting to be, uh, are, are, China's, uh, are China's unintentional enemy, because we stand in the way of China's return to its glorious history of dominating its known world. Well, its known world a couple hundred years ago, before the advent of the West, of course, was East Asia. It, it handily dominated East Asia. It dominated Korea, of course, still has a puppet state there that you mentioned earlier in the show. North Korea is a puppet state of China. It dominated Southeast Asia. It actually owned Vietnam for many centuries. Vietnam was part of China. Uh, it dominated everything up to the tundra in Siberia, everything west to the deserts and everything south to the Himalayas, which uh, which were hard to cross. And now, of course, its known world is the whole world, and it has uh, desires, it has ambitions, it has a vision of, of China supreme over uh, what it calls everything under heaven. Uh, that's, in fact, another name for China, Tianxia, everything under heaven. And that includes, uh, folks, uh, you and I. And, and, you know, you make reference to the relationship between China and Vietnam, uh, certainly China and North Korea. I, I guess we could almost look at that historically and say that, well, the history books tend to record that as a battle between the North and South. Isn't it largely true, Stephen, that that was really a war between the United States and China? Well, absolutely. I mean, when when when, uh, when Kim Il-sung sent his legions uh, pouring across the uh, the demilitarized zone, 38th parallel, into South Korea. Uh, the nearly defenseless South would have fallen in, in, in a few weeks if it hadn't been for MacArthur in Japan, sending over troops that we had there and, and maintaining the Pusan perimeter, then the landing at Incheon, which cut off the North Korean forces. And the war would have been over very quickly, except, except waiting on the other side of the Chinese border with North Korea, north of the Yala River, was uh, a 500,000-man Chinese army 
which poured into the Korean Peninsula, drove back uh, the American forces uh, south of the 38th parallel. And, of course, that's where we... Uh, that's where we drew the line, and that's where the division is today between North and South. So it was basically a war between the People's Republic of China, the Red Army, and the United Nations forces, which were led by the United States. A war, of course, that has never ended. And ironically, well, we could argue that, well, it was kind of a break-even, meaning that they never made it any further south in the 38th parallel. There was no territory that was surrendered uh, nor gained, and yet at the end of the day... The rock in the shoe for the United States and many of our allies in the region, including Japan and elsewhere, that North Korea has continued to serve has been a um, an obvious one and and one that apparently has served communist China very well. And yet, ironically, we've said fast, sort of refused to acknowledge this or, quite frankly, uh, refused to insist that Beijing acknowledge the real relationship it has between North Korea and itself. Yeah, we have to understand that North Korea is China. North Korea wouldn't exist if it weren't for China's intervention in Korean War. It would have ceased to exist years ago if uh, China hadn't been supplying it with food and energy to keep the lights on in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, and keep the hungry millions in North Korea um, fed enough to prevent them from starving to death. Uh, the UN, by the way, estimates that one-third of the population of North Korea, 25 million people, is, uh, is malnourished and uh, on the on the verge of famine. So it wasn't if it wasn't for China, uh, North Korea would have fallen uh, a long time ago. And the Kim dynasty, which is now into its third generation with a uh, young uh, little rocket man, uh, would have ceased to exist. Uh, so it really is when we're talking about North Korea, we're talking about a proxy of China. Uh, finally, of course, we have an administration that that realizes that the road to North Korea leads through Beijing. And so we've been putting a lot of pressure on the new Red Emperor, Xi Jinping. And uh, I think he, in turn, has been putting a little pressure, not enough, of course, but enough pressure so that uh, Little Rocket Man is going to come to the bargaining table, negotiating table with President Trump in a few weeks and, and uh, try to cut a deal. And interesting how that seems to be fast-tracked all of a sudden that the United States um, uh, has been in a, at the very least, a war of words between Beijing over uh, trade issues. And, and while I think none of us deny the the horrific trade imbalance, as long along with the notion that you know we sell things to or China sells things to us, we tack on two percent. We sell things to them, and they tack on twenty five. What's wrong with this picture? But there's there's broader things at foot here that we seem to to repeatedly fail to recognize. One of the things that that I found very disturbing. If you look at the more modern history of China, uh, you see a country that was largely from an industrial and technological standpoint, world leadership standpoint, largely pretty backwards. As much as it will brag having a 5,000-year history, uh, a lot of that history seems to, you know, they, they seem to almost been existing 5,000 years ago. Up until the 1960s and 70s, you had a major shift and what was happening in China post-World War II, a lot of that uh, by China's own uh, instigation through things like the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward and all of that, that, that kind of put the country on its heels. But the open door to the West uh, seems to have in particular uh, been utilized by the likes of Deng Xiaoping in, in very um, 
how should we phrase it, in, in, in very effective ways, the point where today she has not only become, in, in the scant uh, generation, a major competitor of the United States, but poised to perhaps overtake us as a world power, and the notion of freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion that's largely non-existent in China kind of seems to get past all of us along with the notion that we've just seen a perhaps a major shift in the embracing of totalitarianism there uh, with the recent announcements that uh, the current president, Xi Jinping, is now going to serve as president for life. What do you make of all of this? Well, I was, I was the first American allowed into China back in 1979. I was at the time, I was at Stanford University. Uh, I went to China. I found myself living in a people's commune. Uh, where they were arresting women for the crime of being pregnant, the crime of being pregnant with an illegal second, third, or fourth child. They also elected, uh, arrested women who were not yet married, who got pregnant out of wedlock, because it is illegal, was illegal, is illegal, will continue to be illegal for any woman who's not married to uh, conceive a child and bear it to term. That's absolutely forbidden under the birth planning policy of the People's Republic of China. So I saw women forcibly aborted. Uh, for the crime of being pregnant, they were in some cases seven, eight, nine months pregnant. Uh, you can imagine the horror that I felt at seeing this unfold before my eyes. I was in the operating room when they were doing cesarean section abortions, that is cesarean section abortions on women who were just, in some cases, days, uh, weeks away from giving birth. Um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind about what an abortion is because I've seen it uh, up close and personal. But the villagers of the time told me, amazingly enough, in 1979, 1980, that things had been better before the communist revolution, that the living standard was higher, that they ate better, and once the communists came, things went downhill. That was 30 years after the communist revolution in 1949, 1950. So flash forward to today, we've seen China develop enormously over the last 30 years. And, and you know who's responsible for that? Uh, in part, it's the, 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 the industriousness of the Chinese people, but in large part, it is our generosity, it is the generosity of the United States of America in allowing trade, uh, Chinese goods to pour into our country, uh, allowing investment in China, allowing technology transfers in China. A lot of that, of course, has been forced, which we now understand. What we've seen over the last 25 years is the largest transfer of wealth in human history from the United States to China. It hasn't made us much richer, but it certainly made China enormously richer. So we, we may have made, in fact, the greatest strategic blunder in, in human history by building up the economy of the country that, that is not only our major strategic competitor, but wants to replace us as the dominant power on the planet. How, how totally I ironic if you think of the likes of, uh, I, I don't know, n name any of them that were major fighters of, of communism during the, the, the height of the Red Scare, and including the uh, junior senator there, <laughs> Mr. McCarthy, uh, who would no doubt turn in his grave to think that, ironically enough, the United States that had been the number one opponent of communism has now, ironically, become the number one proponent, at least economically 
of communism today. An utter irony. Best-selling author and China expert Stephen Mosher is with us today. We have some copies of his book we're going to make available to you. In fact, I've got five copies courtesy of our friends at Regnery Press that is also owned by the good folks that own this radio station that want to make a copy of Stephen's book available to you. We'll take callers number one through five at 888 That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. The book called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Stephen Mosher as Lifeline continues. All right, right now, that update, as promised, on traffic. 520 on the clock, the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. We say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ah, the irony of it all. Welcome back to the conversation. A look at Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order, newly published by Regnery Press. You'll find the book at Bay Area bookstores as well as online through the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also order it directly through Regnery Press at Regnery.com. Its author, our guest in this segment of the program, Stephen Mosher. Stephen, we were talking before the break about uh, the, the, quite frankly, the advancement, if not potential overtaking, as you suggest, even within the subtitle of the book, of the United States by communist China. Uh, because of the sheer economic power that they have become. And what's interesting, too, is that there seems to be a shift going on within Beijing of a concentration of political power, almost seemingly as if President Xi Jinping is is competing with the likes of Putin. Is this headed toward almost a, a dictatorial direction? Well, it's it's a the, the People's Democratic Dictatorship, as it's called, is getting more and more dictatorial by the day, and that largely has to do with Xi Jinping, who I call the new Red Emperor. Now, the first Red Emperor of the Red Dynasty that we currently find China in was Mao Zedong, and remember, we remember Chairman Mao as one of the great mass murderers of human history, responsible for the deaths of about 65 million Chinese. Uh, of course, the one-child policy has taken the lives of 400 million unborn children. These are large numbers. It's hard to get your mind wrapped around such numbers. But then Xi Jinping is modeling himself, the second Red Emperor is modeling himself on the first. Uh, in many ways, he's accumulated more power in Beijing than even Chairman Mao did. Chairman Mao was the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, but he wasn't the head of the government. He wasn't the head of the military. Xi Jinping, we call him President Xi, but he's really Dictator Xi, Red Emperor Xi, is the head of the military. He's the head of the government. And he's the head of the Chinese Communist Party. He's also the head of a dozen leading groups, they're called in Chinese, uh, of little groups that control the economy, that control national security, that control the Internet. So all roads, of po- all roads to power lead to Xi Jinping. He's made himself now dictator for life. And since he's uh, only in his mid-60s, he's, he's likely to be around for another 20, 25 years. And, boy, he's tightening the screws on Christians in, in ways that uh, people in the United States who live in a free country, uh, will hardly believe. Yeah, and of course, there has been a tenuous relationship between Beijing and Christians for a long time. And I guess some of that stems back to perhaps largely unfounded sense that as they look at historically what transpired in 
the Iron Curtain portion of Europe and certainly in the Soviet Union, they, they see, quote-unquote, splinter groups, of which I guess they would include um, Christianity, those that they can't easily be controlled uh, to be a major threat. Is that not part of the agenda here as they have these severe clampdowns? I mean, they'll tell you through the three-self church that they have religious freedom, but you and I both know that that really isn't true. Well, I've, I've been in China. I've been in meetings of home churches and the underground church. And, uh, yeah, they're uh, they're definitely in the catacombs in China, and they're having to burrow deeper every day to stay out of the sight of the uh, government surveillance, which is uh, ubiquitous. But, yeah, going back to the collapse of the Soviet Union, the, the Chinese leadership elite was horrified uh, by the collapse of the Soviet Union, by the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe, and it saw that Christianity, uh, Catholicism in Poland, the Russian Orthodox Church in Russia— played a big role in that, and they studied it, and they were determined not to repeat what they saw as the mistakes of the Eastern European and Soviet Communist parties. So they have uh, been cracking down on religion ever since, but it's gotten a lot worse under the new Red Emperor, Xi Jinping. Uh, They've just uh, banned the online sale of Bibles. Uh, They have now banned uh, parents from taking their own children to church. There are now signs posted outside of churches saying that minors are not allowed as if a church is a kind of den of iniquity that, that little children shouldn't be allowed to enter. Uh, they have also rounded up about a million uh, Muslims in, in western Turkestan who are now in re-education camps. Uh, they have told uh, that all Christians uh, that they can no longer gather in home churches, and if they do, they will be punished. Uh, the leaders of the home church will be arrested. The, the fines up to $15,000 will be levied on the people attending and all monies collected will be confiscated. Uh, the list of abuses goes goes on and on and on. And, uh, you know, this is this is, reminds me, as a, as a long-time China hand, it reminds me of the lead-up to the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s. Mm. Because just as during China's Cultural Revolution, when millions of people died, by the way, the government is once again trying to eradicate Christianity, eradicate uh, religion entirely. I think that's what occupies the mind of Xi Jinping. He wants everyone to be loyal to him, to worship the Chinese party state, and to worship him as the high priest of the Chinese Communist Party. And and he's willing to destroy anything that gets in his way, including uh, the home church movement. What do you make of the uh, the saber-rattling, we'll call it for the moment, between Beijing and Washington, D.C., over the whole issue of trade wars. Do you think that anything positive can come from this in terms of helping to bring about a little bit of balance of powers between the United States and communist China, or is this almost a fait accompli at this point? Well, I'm really, I'm really excited about the, the new team that's, uh, that's coalescing around President Trump in the White House. I know uh, the former CIA director, Mike Pompeo, incoming Secretary of State, has no illusions about how China's been cheating on trade. I know that um, the uh, the new incoming national security advisor, John Bolton, is also uh, clear on the fact that China is our number one strategic competitor. Uh, the new economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, is, uh, is a true believer in standing up to China's trade abuses and theft of intellectual property. So there are good people around President Trump. And, and the fact is that, that governments like China's only understand strength. Uh, weakness invites aggression. Uh, strength deters it. And I think that by projecting strength, which President Trump is very good at, that he has brought uh, the new Red Emperor Xi Jinping up short. And we've begun to see concessions on the trade front. Now, we have to make sure those concessions are real. 
and not just imaginary, not just pretense. Remember, uh, the ancient Chinese strategist Sun Tzu said that all warfare is deception, and China has been in a cold war with us since 1991. I should probably explain that what I mean by that. In 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the then leader of China, Deng Xiaoping, turned to his senior communist colleagues and said this. He said, the old Cold War is over. America defeated the Soviet Union. The new Cold War has begun, and China will win this one. So, folks, you need to know that for the last 27 years, China has been in a Cold War with us across all domains, strategic, economic, uh, security domains, intellectual property, and so forth. Um, and, of course, if your enemy is at war with you, then you're at war whether you want to be or not. And, and the irony China is, has, as you point out, the uh, the abundance of evidence at every turn, politically, economically, militaristically, uh, on and on the list goes, there's an abundance of evidence to demonstrate what you say is right on the money. Uh, sadly, while they may be aware of their engagement with us, we seem to just sort of be whistling past the cemetery and looking at them as a nice trade partner as if we were dealing with uh, Great Britain. Well, we, we, Great Britain shares our values, our institutions. They have the rule of law in Great Britain, and when they sign the British sign an agreement, they generally abide by its terms. Uh, when China signed an agreement to give Hong Kong its uh, local sovereignty for 50 years, signed in 1997, um, it, uh, it decided after 20 years that it didn't need to keep that agreement. And the current ruler of China calls that agreement so much waste paper. So that's the view of Beijing about agreements that it signs. It only keeps them when it's to its advantage to do so, and it violates them when it thinks it no longer needs them. So, uh, you know, so we can, we, can, we can have close alliances with countries that share our democratic values and our, our, our understanding and appreciation of human rights. Um, China doesn't. China's a very different kettle of fish. And, and I think we need to be clear-eyed about that. Major wake-up call, no doubt. I hope we certainly answer that alarm in time enough. Bully of Asia, it is a deeply insightful look at the realities of the balance of power between, quite frankly, not just the United States, but the Western world and China by one of the world's leading experts on China and U.S. Sino relations. He is best-selling author Stephen Mosher. The new book, again, Bully of Asia, available through Regnery Press. And Stephen, we thank you so much for the time and uh, the alarming wake-up call. Keep up the good work. All right, we're here at 533. Coming up next, we've got Jim Daly from Focus on the Family queued up in the wings waiting to join our conversation. We'll get to that visit in a moment. Right now, though, let's check in with Michael Bennett. has got the latest on your Tuesday ride home from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, if you thought the madness in California over gender identity, bathroom regulations, things of this sort was over with, <laughs> does the California state legislature have another surprise for you? This time in the form of Assembly Bill 2943 that essentially says churches, pastors, ministers, counselors could be in violation of California's consumer fraud statutes and be punished for exercising not only religious liberty, but free speech, simply because somebody might suggest that there's help for an individual, for example, struggling with gender dysphoria. 
to give us more insights as to the dangers of this bill. We're joined by the president of Focus on the Family. You hear him, of course, every weekday morning at 9 a.m. and a reprise broadcast in the evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. Jim Daly. Jim, great to have you on the program. That's good to be with you. Thanks so much. And uh, this is really important. Boy, and it is a shocker because one would think at face value somewhere along the way somebody in a legislator's office, somebody in the attorney general's office would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't pass a bill like this because it is such a clear, outright violation of constitutional rights. And yet, I'm sure that if they get their way, they're going to push this thing right through and to the governor's desk for a signature. Break it down for us, Jim. Tell us exactly what is inside of Assembly Bill 2943 and why, in your opinion, is it so potentially dangerous? Well, again, you know, we've gotten to the point, especially with the California legislature, that there's no overreach possible. <laughs> I mean, they just continue to uh, go after religious freedom, religious expression. I think, obviously, because for them it offends them. And uh, But my goodness, this is America. And uh, when you look at AB 2943, it's a bill that threatens free speech and religious freedom, um, and it's moving through the California state assembly rather quickly it's kind of on a fast track if you can believe that but it's a wide-ranging piece of legislation that would open the door for counselors and churches as you said to be sued for communicating the message that change healing from gender confusion is possible and so you know one of the things i have a friend that's on the uh, the panel with the american psychological association uh, dr mark yarhouse and he pointed me to some research which is really amazing where about 70 percent Listen to this. 70% of gender-confused teenagers will self-correct by 18. Now think of that and how these people are wanting to lock these teenagers in, make it illegal for them to sort out unwanted sexual gender dysphoria, as you said, to make it illegal to talk to somebody about wanting help to what traditionally has been to normalize your sexuality. I mean, to me, it's immoral for people, particularly politicians, to trap people in a place they don't want to be trapped in. Since when should government decide therapeutic approaches in a clinic's office? This is breathtaking. Further, it opens up two avenues for lawsuits. One is the state. So in a church, if a pastor says, and it has to be transactional, meaning money has to be under the consumer fraud Section. So if a pastor says to a person who comes to them at the front of the church at the end of a service and asks for prayer, pastor says to that person, as they're praying for them or just after, why don't you go to our bookstore? There's a great book in there by so-and-so who can help you with thoughts and ideas on how to begin that process. That right there would be enough. They can now sue the church, sue the pastor, as well as the state being able to sue that pastor for giving that advice under the Consumer Fraud Protection Act. Is that crazy? Talk about an overreach. And, of course, as you point out, the language that's used in this bill would cast such a wide net, calculated essentially from what you're describing, Jim, to entangle pastors, churches, religious institutions, Christian counseling organizations, anybody that might be in a position to offer insight or advice to somebody that essentially would entrap them and entangle them in this net. And, you know, to think that somehow the consumer fraud statute, which has 
legitimate purposes for legitimate reasons of protecting consumers in California is now going to be manipulated in such a fashion to carry out essentially a a liberal agenda here, which flies in the face of every aspect of First Amendment rights that I can think of, from freedom of speech to freedom of religion. And, you know, while even in California, yeah, we're a state that's got a lot of extremes, we've kind of agreed to disagree on the gay marriage issue, for example, to say, okay, if you're church doesn't believe in it, you're not going to be compelled to marry same-sex couples. Okay, nothing in the decision by the Supreme Court precludes a church from preaching what their beliefs are on the topic, no matter what side of the issue you come down upon. This essentially is, is from the way I'm reading it, either forcing churches to go silent on the topic or to a, adopt a viewpoint that may not be in harmony with their religious beliefs. Exactly right. And this is the issue, I think, in the the United States, where we are a nation of law, the manipulation of law for an outcome that you desire at the expense of expression on another group's part is what, what the tactic is. How do we silence them? These steps that are going on are alarming. This is an overreach that is so egregious, so bold-faced that we have got to, and being a native Californian myself, I hope that Californians step up and say, wait a minute, on both sides of the aisle, this is not healthy for for discourse in our country. We need to be able to talk through issues. People need to be able to take positions that are contrary to the culture, and uh, I think it should be chilling for all of us. People should call their state assemblymen and uh, state officials and complain and make sure that the brakes are put on this bill. And this is yet another egregious example of some of the limits that are being pushed by the California state legislature. I mean, my goodness, there's a debate in the Supreme Court or about to be heard right now over the very issue of compelling pro-life counseling centers to essentially advertise abortion services. And if you look at that at face value and say, well, we want to make sure that women are aware of the totality of options that are open to them. And so we're also going to insist that abortion clinics make women aware of options such as keeping the child a term, putting the child up for adoption. The bill is entirely one-sided, and right now it's going to be debated all the way to the highest court in the land. No doubt if something like this were to pass, it would head to the same direction. But we'd like to cut this thing off at the pass, send a message to Sacramento that Californians, and let me be clear about this, this is something that you want to consider to be egregious no matter where your opinion comes down on the topic, because at the end of the day, it is manipulation of California consumer protection statutes in order to extract a specific opinion and silence people and essentially take away their First Amendment rights. As Jim Daly points out, We need you to respond to your member of the California State Assembly. You can go to the website, do a search, put your zip code in for California State Assembly, find out who your representative is, and then write he or she and let them know that you are urging a no vote on Assembly Bill 2943. That's AB 2943. Jim, certainly the chilling effect that this would have, you know, the old adage, as California goes, so goes the nation. Something like this were to pass in California, I would imagine it would, and and it could survive a constitutional challenge, which is doubtful. But that said, this could potentially embolden other states to follow suit. This could really have a significant chilling effect on First Amendment rights. 
Absolutely, and that's the big concern. You know, when you, you think about what they're really going after here, it's expression, it's speech. It's not a tobacco product we're talking about, but if you simply say, as a person in authority, a pastor, as you said, or a church official, says something about traditional human sexuality, this would be somebody who steps up and says, what can I do as a believer in Christ and someone who's trying to get closer to God? They're coming to you asking that question. If you say anything to give them advice on how to go about doing that, a book, even reading the Scripture, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom have said, the very Bible could be a weapon used against these people in their eyes, and therefore the selling of a Bible could violate this consumer fraud initiative. And, I mean, and don't that. think for a moment that somebody out there would not be willing to, to test the lengths to which this measure could potentially go. And, you know, it's, it's not only compelling people to truncate their religious beliefs, but it's also compelling language. It is essentially saying to the individual, look, we are insisting that you deny science, deny biology, deny your religious faith, and adopt an opinion that runs contrarian to everything that you know and everything that you believe as the official opinion on, for example, the issue of gender dysphoria. And it is remarkable that it's gotten this far, but if you've lived in California for more than five minutes, you you get the agenda. Again, we urge you to get information. You can do a Google search for your state assembly member, put your zip code in, get their contact information, call them, email them, and do so in urging them to vote against Assembly Bill 2943. That's AB 29. Well, Jim Daly, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to be with us and to alert our listeners about this very critical issue. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time and informing people about what's happening. Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family. You can catch the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 9 a.m. and a reprise broadcast 9 p.m. right here on AM 1100 KFAX. Jim, thanks again for the time. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation, 10 away from 6 o'clock. And as we continue our look at Assembly Bill 2943, uh, let's get an update from the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus. Counselor, from a purely constitutional standpoint, I mean, uh, there are several issues here that seemingly would stand in the way of the passage of this bill or the legitimizing of this bill into um, uh, codification by the governor's signature, I I think first and foremost, based on the fact that it seems to be an absolute direct affront to First Amendment rights. Oh, it certainly is. You know, there was an attorney who uh, was uh, testifying before the uh, Judiciary Committee. And uh, what our attorney, Kevin Snyder, did a great job testifying before the, the committee. But there was another attorney on the other side advocating for it. And, and one of the legislators uh, asked him and said, is it true that this bill could prohibit church retreats that are addressing these, these issues of same-sex attraction or gender identity issues? And the attorney hemmed and hawed and didn't respond. And the legislator said, you know, you're really not helping me on this. Because I'm really concerned. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's uh, and, and, you know, we recommended amendments. Say, you know, uh, you know, let's have amendments protecting the selling of books and conferences and church retreats and, and churches and ministries advertising. And no amendments. So they're, they're die hard um, to make this, uh, uh, this bill to be something that is uh, just ripe 
for potential challenge on First Amendment grounds. And, and certainly, first and foremost, it would be easier just to not see this bill passed with the language as it currently stands. That would avoid a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of hassle, a lot of headache in having to yes. challenge this. Uh, I think, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I played one on TV once, that <laughs> this would be clearly an open door for constitutional challenge were it to be passed into law. All of that said, give us your sense right now in Sacramento. Uh, what is the level of support right now within the California State Legislature? Where does it currently stand? Yeah, it's, uh, it's important you said California Legislature and not the Texas or Wisconsin Legislature. Yeah, mm, I know where you're going with this now. <laughs> yes, because the California Legislature is, um, is, is moving this right through uh, it's already passed the Judiciary Committee. It's already passed the Privacy and Consumer Protection Committee. Uh, it's moving to the now to the Assembly floor. It could be voted on, Craig, as early as this Thursday. And this is tied in in part and parcel to sort of the agenda that we saw come to fruition in relationship to trying to compel crisis pregnancy centers to essentially advertise for abortion clinics. I mean, isn't this essentially coming born out of the same attitude, the same spirit? Oh, it really is. It totally ignores the rights of the individuals uh, for self-determination uh, to decide for themselves what direction they want to go, what path their journey they want to to take. And uh, and it's it's um, you know it even it, it it attacks the whole notion that that people uh, can change who want to to change or reduce their desires in one way or the other or their uh, attractions and, and their needs. Uh, and it ignores the the, the individualism of, of human beings and the individual nature that every everyone has in terms of well, different and, and even more fundamentally, you know, no matter what a person's opinion might be on the topic, one way or the other, at the end of the day, from the standpoint of religious liberty and First Amendment rights, right. uh, it, it, it kind of becomes problematic when you start to suggest that uh, you're going to now dictate what the unique religious beliefs. Uh, may or may not be quote unquote acceptable and and therein lies the rub, so in terms right. of this moving through the california state legislature your your sense at this point is what if if they if if the legislators do not hear from California voters that this likely will pass yes wow uh, unfortunately that is that is the the course that it's on uh and unless unless there is a a major thrust of people contacting their legislators, expressing their concerns, um, then it looks like it's going to pass. And, you know, here's the sad thing. Just not that long ago, there was an earlier bill applied to, you know, just to, to licensed counselors and, and minors under 18, and, and that squeaked through. That made it through only because they said, hey, well, we're just limiting it just to, to licensed psychologists and, medical, you know, and, and uh, kids under 18, who, you know, who, uh, but now this is so broad, it deals with advertising prohibitions, selling of books, conference centers, church retreats, and, uh, it is, and it's uh, so discriminatory in terms of individuals and their, their freedom for self-determination, uh, and, yet it, it, and yet this could pass, something that was unthinkable to be passed just a, uh, just a couple of years ago now. 
is moving right on through. We need people to contact their legislatures. And as we mentioned in the previous dialogue with um, Jim Daly, you can go online, get information as to who your representative is and your particular zip code for uh, the California State Legislature and uh, simply email, probably the easiest way. If you want to do the old-fashioned letter, that's okay, but email is probably the easiest way to communicate and express your opinion regarding Assembly Bill 20. 943. That's AB 2943. Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. We appreciate so much, Brad, the update. All right. Speaking of updates, there's one other thing I want to mention just before we uh, we wrap up this segment and get you into some uh, traffic news here. Um, you've heard this discussed perhaps uh, earlier today on this station during Jay Seculo's program. But I want to bring to your attention from a prayer standpoint uh, what's going on with the trial of Pastor Andrew Brunson in Turkey. As you might have heard, Pastor Brunson was again in court yesterday facing charges of quote-unquote Christianization uh, simply on trial for being a believer. Um, In what appears to be a very disturbing development here, following these accusations from uh, ironically unidentified and secret witnesses. Uh, Here's an interesting thing here in the United States. Uh, You get to face your accusers. Apparently in Turkey, that's not the case. Uh, So all of this seemingly sort of lining up to discredit anything that uh, uh, Pastor Brunson has had to say. Um, Now the judge said late yesterday that the trial would continue Monday, May the 7th, and he ordered the pastor back into prison. Uh, He has been sent to a prison that is extremely uh, grim and certainly not a safe place to be. Um, right now, the American Center for Law and Justice is stepping up an aggressive campaign to secure the, past, the freedom of Pastor Brunson, um, and they are hoping to be able to have an opportunity to dialogue directly with the Turkish government prior to the next court date, which is scheduled for May the 7th. So the next three weeks are going to be uh, very critical, and um, we just want to encourage you to be in prayer for this man. He is not a terrorist. Uh, he is not out there aggressively proselytizing. Um, this seems to be largely trumped-up charges to try and demonstrate by uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, uh, his rule-of-law get-tough regime. And sadly, sometimes uh, innocent people get caught up in those uh, dog-and-pony shows, as clearly is the case of Pastor Andrew Brunson, uh, currently on trial in Turkey. So um, please, as you are thinking about important things to be praying about, pray for Pastor Brunson and his family. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. To get more information, by the way, uh, the ACLJ website, American Center for Law and Justice, uh, will keep uh, updates, no doubt, on their website as this process and the trial continues. Six o'clock from KFAX. That means we're going to get a look at traffic here for you. Right quick like with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.